0: Dun, 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 all right, all right, all right. Welcome to It's Just a Talk. My name is Mauricio. I'm your host, and this is episode 003 or 003. And It's Just a Talk is your new millennial spanglish political queer and shady podcast where we will be talking some tea, talking some true, but we always find some time to talk some shit. And I'm giving you some sabor latino with the el sonidito. That's like my favorite song ever. Um, whenever it comes out a quinceanera, at a bautizo, at a wedding, at a, at a divorcio, whatever I'm celebrating, you know, they play that song, I'm gonna be at the dance floor. Uh, all right, so let's get this party started. All right, all right, all right. We're gonna start this episode with another section called "How was your week?" So I didn't, I did not travel anywhere this week. Um, did not go uh, far. I stayed in the Bay Area. Um, once again, coming to you from this closet in Oakland. Um, so how was my week? So I'm gonna go over my week for with you. If you follow me on social media, you probably uh, know kind of how my week went uh so one of the things that i did this week that was really exciting for me was i was able to go to the measured aa kickoff here in oakland and it's known as the oakland children's initiative um that's are going to be on the valley in November. Uh, basically, what the Children's Initiative uh, does, it will dramatically expand access to quality, affordable preschool for every four-year-old from a low-income background in Oakland. Through early education funding, Measure AA will dramatically increase kindergarten readiness and college graduation rates and o- for Oakland children. So, um, why is this important? This is important because nearly 20% of Oakland residents live at or below the poverty line. And Measure A will help end the cycle of poverty in Oakland by directing resources to low income children, providing them with affordable and quality preschool, improving kindergarten readiness. So that word has been throws, it is get gets thrown a lot. The kindergarten readiness. So studies show that if students are not kindergarten ready uh, by the time they're five, then they're already like behind everybody else. So um, I remember when I was growing up, preschool wasn't like a thing. I didn't go to preschool. So maybe this is why I have an accent. Maybe not. Um, But studies also show that the brain develops within the first five years of a children's life. And if we wait till kinder, then that children's brain has already developed. And so a lot of of people who are low income can't afford to send their children to... um, child care or to preschool because it's expensive. And the free preschool programs are usually super packed. They're usually there's waiting list. And so a lot of these children that are low income and can't afford to pay for a preschool don't don't go to kindergarten kinder ready. Um, and I know you're probably thinking, Oh, what do you need to do to be kinder get ready? But times have changed. And not to be kinder ready, you have to be able to like at least read, uh, be able to like Have like word recognition, like all these different things. No phonics, and so if a child has not been in school and is not uh, kinder ready, they're already behind. And so what Measure A pushes to do is it pushes to, uh, through taxes, uh, it will be taxing the richer people in Oakland um, to be able to fund early childhood education. And the reason why it was really cool is because there's a lot of people that are backing this. Of course, the mayor of Oakland, um, Libby Schaaf, she's one of the main people that is backing this. The director of education who's um, David Silver, as well as Congresswoman Barbara Lee is backing this. Lieutenant Governor Gavin Newsom, uh, Senator Nancy Skinner, Assemblymember Rob Bonta, um, among other, the Latino Education Network, NAACP in Oakland is backing the Children's Initiative because they know how important it is for, you know, kids younger than four to have preschool available to them. So I was able to meet, uh, you know, Rob Bonta, Nancy Skinner, Barbara Lee. I was able to sign up so I can. I'm, you know, volunteer and go knock door to door. So if you're in Oakland, you'll probably see my face soon. I'll be knocking door to door and telling you why you should vote yes on Measure AA. Um, and this just reminded me that it's really important for every just everyone to register to vote. I know I said it in my last um, podcast, but yes, go ahead, register to vote. Uh, if you live in Oakland, yes, on Measure AA. It's for a good cause. Um, and then, other than that, other things that I did is on Thursday, I went to see the Queen the one and only Lauren Hill. I know you probably thought I was going to say Beyonce. No, that's like next week. Uh, I would just see Lauren Hill uh, with my friend Cynthia. Shout out to Cynthia. Um, and she just, like, laid it out on us. Like, after a couple songs, she, like, stopped. And then she just talked to people about, you know, the country and what we should be doing as, um, you know, People in the Bay Area who care, who are known to be, you know, shit starters, uh, starting, you know, social change. You know, the Bears where the Black Panther started, where sections of the brown beret started, where the Black Lives Movement started, uh, where a lot of workers' unions started. So we're known for like starting shit. And so she was talking to us. She was like, "If we, you know, we want to leave this place better than what we found it for the next generation. If not, there won't be a next generation." She's just like went deep. And I was like, "Yes, girl. I." you, like, I'm feeling you right now. She was amazing. She wasn't five hours late like she usually is. She was, like, 45 minutes to an hour late. She did an hour and a half set, so that was pretty awesome. Uh, yeah, and so, like, I was just so re-inspired by Lauren to be like, yes, girl, like, you're right. Like, I got to align my energy and got to be out there and be where the changes. Uh, So something else that happened my week is uh, I realized that uh, there's certain shows that we all love and that I didn't have space for me to talk about them. So I want to go ahead and talk about the shows during this segment of How Was Your Week? Uh, So the first show that I absolutely love is Insecure. And even though this comes out on Sunday, so there'll be a brand new Insecure episode, by the time this comes out, I'll recap last week's episode... So, it'll be, like, kind of a week late. But if you haven't watched the episode, then it's, like, I'm catching you up. And if you haven't watched the episode, then you're a week late, girl. Boy. Person. Whatever gender domination you choose. You late. Uh, So, um, Insecure, last episode. Yo. So... A lot of things happened last episode. The baby shower, love. Like, all the pictures that she took, my favorite. Like, I definitely want to, like, redo that whenever I'm pregnant. And by... When I say pregnant, I mean whenever I, like, have, you know, like, a taco run. You know, I'm going to take some pictures with my with my taco belly. Um, those were awesome. But, you know, that whole Kelly situation where she felt like she was, like, losing her best friend, yo, like, that was rough. Because I could kind of understand where Kelly's coming from. Like, you know, she's losing her friend. First, you lose your friend to when they get married. And if you get along with your friend's partner, your best friend's partner. Then it could be a good thing. But then when they're having a baby, I can see where Kelly's coming from and where her like frustration of like she's losing a friend. Um indefinitely like to this whole crew of moms that like, she can't be a mom. She's not a mom, she's not married, she's still single. So so what are they going to have in common now? Um, so it hit home, close to home. But it was also the very first time that we saw Kelly, like, in a different light. Like, usually Kelly's, like, the comic relief. Like, I fucking love her. She's funny. She goes in on people. But, like, this time, like, she was human. And we were able to understand more of, like, what her friends mean to her. And that was really important, uh, to see, I think, to see Kelly in a different light. Um, and then, uh, over here, homeboy is ghosting isa and i was like yo like can isa not be me right now like isa girl you living my life like i'm living your life like the the past episode where like they got in a fight and the lift uh, that gave me like ptsd because for those of you that don't know i like used to drive for Lyft. i drove from like 2014 to like earlier this year i stopped driving for various reasons um but in la i had someone fight in my car before and i had to like drop him off in the middle of like the hollywood hills because i was like they're gonna like i don't want to fight someone and they were about to break my mirrors my windows i mean so that whole fight and then this this homeboy comes into her life he seems like he's great you know a couple episodes ago when they go into the the pool i'm like damn he is fine but then now he's ghosting her or at least we think he's ghosting her which we'll find out in episode this sunday or today when this comes out if he is ghosting her or not i was talking to one of my friends and he just brought up this whole new like possibility he was like yo what if he's not ghosting isa and what if he's like in jail because, like, after the, he got in a fight with the guy in the lift, like, when he got out of the car, he's like, no, yo, like, I can't do this. I got to get out of here. And then he ran away. And Lyft just called Issa about the incident and then gave her another call and was like, hey, like, we talked to him. He gave us the side of the story. Like, everything's clear. Thank you so much. And so my friend was like, yo, what if he already has, like, a record? And when he, like... Carl lived he probably like put himself in jeopardy to like go to prison so I like I was not even thinking about that and when he said it I was shook I was like yo that might be it So, we'll see this Sunday what happens. Uh, Another show that I love to watch, or that I started watching because I know people love to watch it, is American Horror Story Apocalypse. So, the first episode was kind of a letdown to me. I was like, okay, I understand they're setting it up, whatever. But, like, when they promised that it was going to be, like, um, Coven mixed with like, Murder House, I think it is, I was really excited because I was like, oh, yes, like, the bitches... The, I mean, the witches are back. <laughs> I was like, the witches are back. Coming was one of my favorite seasons. So I was like, let's do this. But then, she's not a witch in this season, in Apocalypse. I mean, the way everything happened, like, I'm still curious about what's happening. And then the second episode, yo. Like, the second episode just fucks with you. First episode, boyfriend dies. And then some random guy comes and tells them that, like, they're going to go through this test. Second episode, like, there's this guy or figure in an all-leather suit, very Folsom Street Fair. Um, and he, like, had sets with the, the, one of the gay guys. I need to learn character names. I haven't learned character names yet. And then at the end, they fuck us They fuck with our head when we find out that, like, this, like, leather bodysuit figure is, like, not real. Or if he's real, he's, like, malignant. Or, like, I don't know what it was. I feel like he's... That guy is there to, like, pull out, like, these, like, negative things out of them to see, like, their evil side. And so then what's-her-name ends up dying from Dynasty. I was like, I was just getting, like, used to her being on the show and her grandson kills her because he thinks that he's the, that she's the leather guy. It, like, it just fucked up my head. And then when that girl gets shot and then you realize that she is not human because she's, like, some type of robot, yo, like, I Fucking with my head already. Like I have so many questions. Uh, but yeah, so that's a little bit more about my week. Uh, How was your week segment? Um, and we're gonna go ahead and move on to who is Mauricio with some twenty-one questions. Again, the reason why I'm doing this is because I realize that a lot of y'all probably don't know me well, or if you do, then this you get to know you. You get to know me even better. So once again, I'm gonna pull up this sheet that I found of like twenty-one questions to ask on a first date, which I haven't tried because I haven't had a lot of first date recently, but we're going to go with this. So, okay, so I'm going to answer two questions, and then we're going to move on, because I feel like I've been talking a lot about my week. So, all right, question one, Uh, it says, what should they teach in high school but don't. Ooh, this is a good question. Yo, one thing that I wish somebody taught me early on that nobody that I did not learn till later was how credit scores work and, like, how to, like, be financially stable. Like, nobody tells you that, like, a credit score is gonna be hella important in your life. Nobody tells you that this credit score is gonna determine whether you have a place to live, whether you can buy a car, like, whether you can get a credit card, like, all these things that, like, nobody ever told me when I was in high school, and I wish somebody would have taught me what a credit score was, because I feel like I'm really getting credit karma right now, um, and so that's something that I wish that I would have learned. Um, only because after high school, when I left home, when I was eighteen, I like used credit cards to like survive because I didn't have like the means to pay for rent and stuff. But all these credit cards were giving me like ridiculous amounts of credit, and I just like went crazy. Like used them for grocery store. I mean, for grocery shopping. Used them for like bills. Used them to pay rent and stuff. And like now, it's like twelve years later. I want to say. Yes. 12 years later, I'm like, yo, like, somebody should have told me about this credit card shit because I'm fucked. All right. So next question says, what do you think that you know you should do but don't? Okay, I get the question. I know the first one is swimming. I know that, like, swimming is, like, an important part of life. But for some reason, homeboy does not know how to swim. I, like, legit don't know how to swim. And, like, in, like, summer camp and stuff, like, kids would try to teach you how to swim, and I just don't know. Like, I can, like, survive underwater for, like, a couple seconds, but, like, I can't float for some reason. I remember there was this one time where, like, um, the kids in summer camp, the campers dared me to jump off the, um the high board or the diving board and they were like it's okay Stomps because that was my camp name Stomps they are like it's okay Stomps like we'll we'll, like be ready to jump in and save you and so I was like okay cool so I like went all the to the top and then I jumped and I remember the only thing they told me is when I fall on the ground I had to like push myself up so I knew that much so I like went all the way to the bottom and then I had to push myself up and then they had to like help me and like push me to the side so that I would survive and like live So that's one thing. The second thing that I know I things I should know how to do that I don't uh, is probably I don't know how to say no. There you go. I know that I should know how to say no to things, but I just don't know. Like, I always have to say yes to people for some reason. And it's become an issue where, like, I have... Overcommitted myself sometimes because I just don't know how to say no. So, yeah. So that's uh, 21 questions with Mauricio. And now we're going to move on to our next section our question of the week. with our question of the week so this week our question of the week is more like me telling you about something in a form of a question that it came to me so most recently one of my friends uh they listened to the podcast uh we were having tacos on tuesday because that's what you do on tuesday and if you don't do that on tuesday then we probably should not be friends i'm just kidding we just can't be friends if you don't like tacos because that's a problem. Anyways, so um, we're having tacos. And then they brought up a point how, like, sometimes I sound a little different that I am with them on my podcast. And this whole conversation of, of code-switching came up. And they were like, what do you mean you're code-switching? I was like, well, I feel like I'm always code-switching when it comes to, like, just life. Like, whether it be I'm code-switching when I'm talking in a professional setting, when I'm talking to my fraternity brothers, when I'm with my gay friends, when I'm with myself, when I'm with my family, when I'm with students, when I'm with parents, like literally always code switching And it was weird for them to understand, partly because maybe they don't code switch as much, but because I did not have the words to be able to explain it. And so in order to do that, I had to do some research to be able to explain what code switching is. And if you look at the dictionary, code-switching in itself means uh, in linguistics, code-switching occurs when a speaker alternates between two or more languages or language varieties in the context of single conversation. Multilingual speakers are often... or people that often have more than one language, sometimes these elements of multiple languages when conversing to each other. So when you look in the dictionary, code switching uh, is defined by language. But in in a more colloquial way, code switching is also the way that we act around different types of people. Um, Things like... um, being called a coconut, uh, if you're Latino, is something that maybe could be attributed to code switching. If you don't know what coconut is, that's basically when someone is Latino, but other people tell them that they act white. So you're brown on the outside, white on the inside. A lot of times for black people, African-Americans, they're called Oreos because they're white on inside, black on the outside. Uh, and so those were those terms would come from. So hearing a little bit more, I wanted to learn more about it. And I'm going to show you a little clip of a video that I found.
1: Okay, so code searching. Let's keep it really simple. Code, so we can think language and searching. So going back and forth between one language and another or one dialect and another. Meet Professor Renee Blake. I am an associate professor in the Department of Linguistics at New York University. I'm also in the Department of Social and Cultural Analysis and the Director of Africana Studies. Code switching is the norm for all of us. So if you just think about whether it's a formal situation versus an informal situation, we're going to be code switching. Usually people think of it in terms of language. So here I am speaking, and I'm speaking not only with words, but I'm also speaking with my face, I'm speaking with my hands. It's a bigger leap for someone who speaks African-American English versus someone who speaks uh, a language that is closer to mainstream English, the language of those in power.
0: So the language of those in power, that was really interesting for me to understand. So somebody once told me about, it is called the first eight rule. And the first eight rule is basically that somebody will judge you for your the first eight feet the first eight seconds, and the first eight words that you say. They will judge you based on who you are, your character, what you can give them, which is just really important when it comes to, like, interviews, when it comes to meeting people that are quote-unquote high in high places. And code switching, it, it basically, it's kind of like a threat to diversity, I would say. Because code switching is basically hiding oneself or one's culture, one's identity to try and become the main identity or become the, those in power, which in terms in the United States would be English speaking, it would be a white cis male. Those will be the ones in power. And so we want to be as close as possible to that when we code switch. And the way that I explain it is this is what I believe people of color sometimes have to do in order to survive. Uh, When we go to college, we learn uh, that our vernacular language is not proper English. So a lot of things that, from places that we grew up, are not part of the proper English. And so we fix those. And then when we go back home, we are then deemed A.K.A. you feel like you're too smart for us or you become white, whatever it might be. So in order to survive in different areas, we do this thing that's called code switching. And so when we're hanging out with someone back home, we wouldn't be talking the way that we talk in a college classroom or I wouldn't be talking the way that I talk with my gay friends my gay friends I'm I'm usually saying yes and go girl and I'll be snapping and if I have a fan I'll be twerping my fan and I just be doing the most it's like pose comes to life when I'm with my gay friends and I don't care because I feel comfortable with them we're usually in spaces that are gay friendly but if I'm in spaces that are not gay-friendly, that I'm going to try to be more heteronormative, more um, straight-passing, I guess you would say, because it becomes a safety issue. The same thing can be said um, for people of color, black people, as well as other people of color um, when they are approached by authority, whether it be police officers or someone in power. If we are not able to code-switch, then we are deemed not smart, we are deemed um, dangerous, and horrible things happen. Uh, the, the best, I guess... Example I can think about this is all the unarmed black men and black women and trans women and people of color that have been uh, killed by police officers or by other members of society who are members in power. Um, And a lot of times because they aren't able to code switch and talk, quote unquote, more white or more appropriate, then they are deemed as dangerous and then they are faced with death. Um, so that's something that I, I feel we do sometimes without knowing. But also, it like I said, it's more than language. It's it's the way that we act around people. It's the way that we dress. It's the way that we assimilate to white culture. A lot of times we do little. I like I try to do little acts of I guess rebellion when it comes to still trying to fit in but still keeping my identity. Something as simple as like wearing a wayavera to work in my suit would be like me trying to. Um, assimilate to white culture, which is a dominant culture, but also keep some of my culture alive. Uh, Spanglish can be considered code-switching as well. Um, Think about it. um, If you went to a high school that it's majority people of color, and then you went to a college that was majority white people, then you start assimilating to them. You start dressing different, you start speaking differently, because you are... I guess, changing for your environment. So it'd be code-switching, the best way that I could think about it is, like, we're geckos to the environment. Yeah, so that conversation came up, and it was really interesting to me to know that sometimes we do it without even knowing. Like, um... I was talking to them, and they're like, "You just sound different, and you sound in your podcast." And I was like, "Oh, maybe because I'm code switching." I was like, "When I'm talking to y'all, you, because y'all are straight guys, like I'm not gonna talk to you the way that I talk to my gay friends, or my Latino friends, or my black friends, or my white friends, or, and so and so." So it's really interesting. Um, it's a phenomenon that it's usually known in communities of color. So if you're not in a community of color, then it's probably not something that you've had to experience in your own life. Um, So yeah, so I want to hear all about how you code switch in your own life and how you think that affects us. Um, Something that I was talking to one of my friends about was that a lot of times when we code switch, it, it becomes almost like a personality disorder for some people because then we're focusing so much on like trying to assimilate to the different environments that we're in and do we really have time to then try and find out who we really are, who our persona really is, or are we just that person in that situation so it can go into so many different things um that i probably did not talk about so i would love to hear more about you and your experience of code switching go ahead and hit me up on my social medias at it's just a talk that's instagram snapchat and Twitter at It's Just a Talk. And as promised, if you want to tell me a little more, uh, a longer story, or you want to talk more about code switching, I have an email now that is podcast. It's just a talk at Gmail.com. That's podcast. It's just a talk at Gmail.com. Go ahead and get at me. Um, and I would love to hear your Questions, your experiences about code switching in your own life. And with that, we're going to go move on to our next section our person of color or queer excellence of the week. Asheh ever in the runway. All right. So we've reached our next segment, our person of color or queer excellence of the week. And... This past Monday were the Emmys that were on a Monday. I know that's interesting. Um, I unfortunately did not see them because I don't have a television. Um, that's something that I try to do when I move to the Bay Area is not to have TV. So I feel we spend so much time on television and just watching TV and pointless TV. So now I usually just watch shows that I know I want to watch on my iPad or on my computer. And those are usually at any schedule that I, that I have time. So, the Emmys were this week, and I would like to give our Queer Excellence of the Week to the cast of RuPaul's Drag Race. RuPaul's Drag Race, start your engines. So, the reason why I want to give it to the cast is because that's why RuPaul's Drag Race won. Most, Most, um... I guess to be exact, the season 10 cast of RuPaul's Drag Race is the reason why RuPaul won that Emmy. I mean, RuPaul almost won for Host of the Year. There was other wins for uh, RuPaul's Drag Race. We had, if I am correct, it was Host of the, uh, Hosted for Reality, uh Reality Television. Uh, RuPaul won uh, and then reality competition program RuPaul's Drag Race won and then directing for reality uh, Nick Murray Murray Murray, I can't say it, uh, who's the director of RuPaul's Drag Race, as well as Saldi one won for costuming. Uh, so congratulations to the cast and everybody that won on RuPaul's Drag Race. I really want to highlight all the 140-something queens that have been on the show because truly and for reals, that's the reason why we all tune in. We tune in for the queens. As RuPaul is legendary... And he has done a lot with the show. But he's also very problematic. Um, And so I want to just congratulate and give this award to every single one of the queens. From Pork Shop, um, who was sent home first. To... Aquaria, that was the last winner. All 140-something queens that were on RuPaul's Drag Race. Their cords is a couple of my favorites um, that, I, that I just think made the show what it is today. Uh, so congratulations to all the drag queens. If you have not watched RuPaul's Drag Race, you are so late to the game that you have so much catching up to do. And I request that you catch up. Um, so that when the new season comes on we can have watch parties in my apartment we can go to the bar and watch it live and just have you'll have more to to talk about with me if you just catch up. And also, once RuPaul's Drag Race starts, we'll have a RuPaul's Drag Race segment where we'll discuss the latest episode here on It's Just a Talk. So congratulations, all 140-something queens of RuPaul's Drag Race for winning the Emmy. The first time that both a, a queer show wins a reality competition and hosts a reality show at the same time. So making her, his, and them story... All in one. So congrats, Queens. Welcome back to It's Just a Talk. We're moving on to our next segment today in the country. So, first of all, today in the country, we know that elections are coming. And so, in November, in California, we're voting in November. If you have not registered to vote, go ahead and register to vote. I put a link on my profile where you can register to vote. So, go ahead and check it out uh, so you can register yourself to vote. There's also uh, an app called BorderPal by... Voto Latino, that makes it super easy to register yourself or register your friends and family to vote. All you need is an ID, and you can register them to vote. All right, moving on. Anyways, that was my spiel for the register to vote. It's very important. Uh, So because of the election, most recently, Ted Cruz has been under fire because um, of what he did. Uh, He retweeted uh, a video, a popular video, by his opponent Beto O'Rourke and basically uh, used the video to be able to say that Beto O'Rourke is against police and that he does not believe in police power and that he's against police and he's against the people. Um, but the video that he tweeted was a video that O'Rourke or Beto because I, I can't say his name so I'm going to call him Beto because I could say Beto. Uh, girl, I, trust me, I can say Beto. Because Beto tweeted this Po- tweeted this video of him at a church talking about the recent killing in Texas of Boatman Jean that was killed by a police officer, Amber uh, which we'll talk about later. And so in the video, he's basically talking about how we need justice for this man who was killed in his own apartment by a police officer when he was just minding his own business. Um, so I'm going to play the video so you can hear exactly what he says in this video.
1: How can it be in this day and age, in this very year, in this community, That a young man, African-American, in his own apartment, is shot and killed by a police officer. And when, when we all want justice and the facts and the information to make an informed decision, what is released to the public? They had a small amount of marijuana in his kitchen. How can I be mean just? In the of
0: and so, in the video, he's, Beto is basically saying that the what was released was that he had marijuana in his kitchen counter. And so, that brings me to the point of, like, fuck people trying to criminalize marijuana. Like, really, like, he deserved to be killed in his own apartment. <sighs> Okay, we're gonna go more into this later because this is my talking shit today. So, anyways, what Ted Cruz did is he retweeted this to be able to, I guess, row his, his people against Beto. And he said, he tweeted, he said, over and over again, Congressman O'Rourke, when faced with police and law enforcement, he sides against the police. And it just tells you how, like, Disconnected he is with the people that he's trying to represent because he doesn't know what happened. This is what that shows me. He shows me that he's trying to use this only to, like, I don't even know what he's trying to use this for. I want to say that he's trying to use this to, like, please his, like, the white nationalists that are going to vote for him, the racist people in Texas that are going to vote for him. But at the same time, I'm like, yo, like, if you knew exactly what happened, you would not be this. And people just, like, went off on him. Like, somebody tweeted at um, Evan underscore McMullen said, Ted, which of those words do you find objectable? That an unarmed, honest. Un- Unsuspected man should not be killed in his own home, that justice should be served, that they be spoken to a black community. These words are good and true, and they unite, not divide, as you seem to hope you do. Somebody out said, um, underscore Hubbard, TB Montoya said, thinking people shouldn't be killed by police doesn't mean you're against the police. You can support police and be against them killing people when it's not necessary. Uh, yeah, so obviously 10 Cruz is basura, uh, just like men are. Uh, so, yeah, So if you have any more about what Ted Cruz said, if you have any other juicy tweets, go ahead and send them to me. Uh, moving on. So, Kavanaugh. We talked about Kavanaugh on our first um, episode, uh, 001. So, Brett Kavanaugh is actually the nominee that uh, Donald Trump um, put forth to be screened to go to the Supreme Court. And most recently, there was... There's been an, uh, someone accused him. Uh, her name is, I want to get her name right. Christine Blaisley Ford was the one that accused him of sexual assault. According to Dr. Christine Blaisley F- Ford, because she's a professor, uh, when they were in high school, Brad Kavanaugh and one of another. Um, student in high school, basically were drunk at a party and forced themselves on her and almost raped her. Um, and she had to then move miles and miles away uh, for college to try and be away from them. And the story says that when Donald Trump won his upset presidential victory in 2016, Christine Bracy Ford thought quickly... his Her thoughts quickly turned to a name most Americans had never heard of but one that had unsettled her for years, Brad M. Kavanaugh. So she actually had told her therapist about this in 2012, her husband in 2012, about what had happened to her and Brad Kavanaugh had done. So when this came out, it's been really interesting because these Republicans are still trying to, I guess... Be with the Me Too movement, but at the same time, take it lightly what he did So or what he's accused of doing. And so uh, to read some tweets or some quotes that some of the Republican... Um, Congress people or senators said. Uh, so Senator Lindsey Graham, who represents South Carolina, said, I'll listen to this lady, but we're going to bring this to a close. This accus- It's interesting how this accusation came at this point. Uh, senator Bob Corker, who is a Republican senator from Tennessee, said, I mean, I can't imagine the horror of being accused of something like this. That sounds horrendous. I just can't imagine it. Senator Orrin Hatch said, from Utah said, "I think this woman, whoever she is, must be mixed up or must had Brett Kavanaugh mixed up with someone else." And Senator Dean Heller said, "We got a little hiccup here with the Kavanaugh nomination. We'll get through this, and we'll get off to the racing and get him through to the Supreme Court." Of course, all four of these are white men, not surprised that they're white men, not surprised that they would try and, I guess, bring down what had happened here just to be able to get Brett Kavanaugh nominated or through to the Supreme Court. Um, And I'm not surprised at all because this is very much what white men... What Republicans have been doing. Uh, And this brings us, this reminds me of something that happened a while back that a lot of you might not remember. So, a lot of you might not remember if you're children or under the age of 25, you probably do not remember who Anita Hill is. So, Anita Faye Hill is an American attorney and academic. um, And she uh, accused uh, now Supreme Court Judge Clarence Thomas of sexual misconduct sexual harassment uh when she worked for him she's a professor and this happened in 1991 and of course nobody took her seriously at that time and so this new reminder of ford and the accusation with kavanaugh is a reminder of anita hill and how senators and congress people did not treat anita hill as someone that could be trusted simply because she came forth at that time. So uh, it is expected that uh, Ford, uh, I want to say her full name, that Dr. Christine Blasley Ford will testify against Kavanaugh this coming week. So I'll probably be talking about it on our next episode and what happened on the hearing. So, you know, keeping on the campaign trail, uh, I want to go ahead to talk about the senator the congressman, actually, the Republican congressman of Arizona, Paul Gosar. So, Paul Gosar uh, recently had an ad against him come out where six of his siblings, brothers and sisters, um, were in the ad, and they basically were against uh, Paul Gosar being reelected to Congress. Uh, Paul Gosar has been in Congress since 2013. Uh, he's also been known uh, to be and super for Trump, um, Republican congressman, but also has been known to have ties with uh, extremist, anti-mus- uh, anti-Muslim, anti anti-immigrant uh, white nationalists in Arizona. And so his family, six of his siblings, six of the ten, so I guess six of the nine because he's the tenth, uh, were on this ad in which they speak against him, and they try to have the people of Arizona vote against him and they say that he is no longer working for you. Uh, and I'm going to play that ad for you to hear.
1: Paul Gosar, the congressman, isn't doing anything to help rural America. Paul's absolutely not working for his district. If they care about health care, they care about their children's health care, they would hold him to account. If they care about jobs, they would hold him to account. If he actually cared about people in rural Arizona, I bet he'd be fighting for social security, for better access to health care. I bet he would be researching what is the most insightful water policy to help the environment of Arizona sustain itself and be successful. And he's not listening to you, and he doesn't have your interests at heart. My name is Tim Gosar, David Gosar, Grace Gosar, Joan Gosar, Gaston Gosar, Jennifer Gosar, Paul Gosar is my brother, my brother, and I endorse Dr. Brill. Dr. Brill wholeheartedly endorse Dr. David Brill for Congress. Ooh,
0: so this ad has been deemed one of the most, I guess, savage ads in this uh, election this year because this his opponent, Dr. Brill, literally got fits of his own Flesh and blood siblings to, I guess, speak against him. Uh, Ghosts are then tweeted and said that uh, you don't get to choose your family and your family doesn't get to choose you. And that he doesn't agree with his liberal, democratic siblings and brothers, but that they, he will see them at mom and dad's house. So tell me what's happening in your side of the country, and what are the shady ads that have been happening uh, for this election? I would love to hear. Go ahead and get at me at all my social media at It's Just a Talk, Twitter, Snapchat, and Instagram. And on my email at a talk at gmail.com. That's podcast dot it's just a talk at gmail.com <sighs> We're moving on to our next section, Hoy en el Mundo, or Today in the World. So, Today in the World, we're going to go to the other side of the country. I mean, not the country, of the world. Um, And first, we're going to go to Iran. So, most recently in Iran, there was a huge... Parade and the parade uh happens every year and it was basically commemorating the war in the nineteen eighties between Iran and Iraq. Uh, and they always have a parade where like uh, the military marches and stuff. And there was a shooting where people were killed um, in Iran. Uh, and I believe there was 29 people dead and 70 wounded in Iran at this uh, parade. Uh, people that were there say that there was uh, people in uh, two, a couple men in motorcycles, uh, in khakis, clothes, and hoodies that, you know, d- drove by and started shooting up the parade. Uh, at the same time, Iran's Supreme Leader Ayatollah Khamenei, um, was speaking uh, at a different part of the celebration, and he condemned the attack in the southwestern city of Avas in Iran, uh, and he bla- basically blaming the U.S.-backed regimes in the region for doing this. Um, so, Khomeini urged authorities on Saturday, which this happened last Saturday, to chase the trails of the criminals uh, as President Hassan Rouhani vowed a crushing response to the deadly attack. So following the bloodshed, though, uh, questions have now aris- arisen as to who was responsible for carrying it out and whether Iran would be drawn into a wider conflict with its response whoever did it uh foreign minister Javad sarif blamed terrorists recruited trained armed and paid by a foreign regime for the attack iran holds regional terror sponsors and their u.s masters accountable for such attacks iran will respond swiftly and decisively in defense of iranian lives um, so yeah, so according to Iranian Students News Agency, ISNA, uh, an armed group called Al-Havasiha claimed responsibility for the attack, while Islamic State of Iraq and the Levant ISIL also said it was behind the assault. So different people had come up and said that they were responsible for it, but um, the current precedent of iran uh, believes that there has to be regimes or terrorist um... groups that have been created that are u.s. backed uh... learn your foreign affairs Uh, Not very great in foreign affairs are we doing now. Uh, Going back to how we're not doing great in foreign affairs, we're going to China, where China urges the U.S. to withdraw sanctions or face consequences. Uh, So most recently, China uh, bought a couple planes, uh, fighter jets, I believe, uh, from Russia. And the U.S. placed some sanctions on China and part of the military for being able—for doing this. Uh, And basically, China is now—Beijing is warning consequences if Washington does not cancel sanctions on Chinese military for purchase from Russia. Uh, So, yeah, so the— Again, like I said, the Chinese have urged the United States to withdraw punitive sanctions imposed on the Chinese military over its purchase of fighter jets and missiles from Russia or, quote-unquote, bear the consequences. On Thursday, the U.S. State Department said Chinese purchases of Su-35 aircraft and the S-400 surface-to-air missiles breached the U.S. sanctions law, targeting Russia over its alleged meddling in the 2016 U.S. election and the actions in the Ukraine. But Beijing on Friday warned the of consequences for Washington if it does not cancel those sanctions. The Chinese side expresses strong indignation over the above-mentioned unreasonable practices of the U.S. side. So basically, the Chinese believe, Beijing believe, that the U.S. is doing this so that other countries are only able to purchase things from the U.S. and not from other countries. So, like, narrowing down their businesses, uh, Beijing seems... Feels like this is unfair, and so they're warning the country. So there's a couple countries out there that are warning us. So just keep a lookout for your foreign affairs. Are very important. A lot of times, we fail to see what's going on in the world because we're so busy in our own lives or what's happening here in the United States. uh but there's many other things happening out in the world or threats that are happening. Against us. Uh, And by us, I mean all of us, even though we're not making the damn decisions. It's it's the pendejo in the office. Talk some shit for me. Talk some shit with me. Alright, welcome back to your favorite section of It's Just a Talk, where we get to talk some shit, okay? So, okay, so for t- today for the shit talking, I want to really just start by saying, and if you're a child, or you have a child in the car, there's a time where you cover their ears for the next 10 seconds, because I'm going to say some cuss words. Now, fuck you, Officer Amber Gouyer from the Dallas, Texas, who killed Boatman Jean last a couple weeks ago. Some more things have been coming out about this, and more and more things have been just making me extremely angry. And I just want to like slap this officer in the face. I want to do more than slap her. I want to talk so much shit about her. Like, fuck you, Amber. Like, seriously. Ugh. So, if you have not heard what happened in Texas... So, this is what the story. So, the story is that Amber is a police officer in T- Dallas, Texas. And she allegedly said that she thought that uh, Boatman Jean was an intruder in her home. So, just so that you know, Boatman Jean lived in the same building that... Amber lived in uh, she lived in the third floor she lived in the he lives in the fourth floor each floor has their own parking space she got off of her shift and drove home parked in the wrong parking, I guess, spot, and then went to the door that she thought was her apartment. So her story says that she thought this was her apartment. She had a break into her own apartment because her key did not work, and then she saw a shadow in the dark, and she shot him, and then when she turned on the light, she realized that she was in the wrong apartment and that she had killed a man. That sounds like the biggest problem bullshit i have ever heard in my life and trust me i have been dating for since i was 18 so i've heard a lot of bullshit and that is the biggest bullshit i've heard how okay here's my first thing when anyone goes into their house the first thing you do is you turn on the light right so why did this bitch not turn on the light and see that it was in her house. First of all, if your key was not working, shouldn't you look at the door and say, oh shit, I'm in the wrong an- apartment number? I think hers is like 1315 and his was 1415. I was like, you realize, can see that it's not your fucking apartment. And then for you to have to break into the apartment that you quote unquote think it's yours and then kill someone in the apartment because you think they're intruding your apartment, like, this just doesn't make sense. It makes no fucking sense. And what pisses me off even more is that this bitch killed this black man. Who, by the way, these are nice as apartments. Like, you need a little fab to get in. You have your own parking, like, in each level. So you know that there's a black man that made it. There's a black, there's a man of color that went to college, got his education. I believe he had, like, a business of his own. And then he was chilling his own fucking apartment and this bitch just comes into apartment and kills him. Now we can people can't even chill in their fucking apartments anymore without fearing of a police officer killing you. That's one. Two, reports of people and they live like neighbors and say they have said that she had already, the night before, she filed a, a noise complaint against him that he had he was playing music too loud the day before a couple of weeks prior to that she had filed a complaint against him a noise complaint prior to that the night that this happened and then wit- witnesses have said that they heard her screaming open the door open the door so this is my theory and this is my theory because I just cannot stand that this is still happening. I cannot stand that somebody was killing their own motherfucking apartment. This bitch probably had a bad at, uh, a, a bad day at work. She probably came home after work. She has been in the police for, for four years in Dallas, Texas. She probably had a bad day. She probably sat in her apartment, heard that Gene, Mr. Gene had, the the boatman Gene had music on, and this bitch was probably like, nah, like, fuck this, I'm gonna go, wet my uniform, wet my gun, make sure that he turns on this motherfucking music, because she probably had a badass day. Then, she goes as far as to break into his apartment and then kill him. Kill the man, because he was playing music too loud. I understand You had a bad day? You want someone to put their music down? Great. You knock. You tell them, can you please put your music down? They don't. Bitch, it's called, you put some plugs in your ears. But to then go and kill someone because of this, yo. Because you know that story of I I was in the wrong apartment, so I had to break into my own apartment? You know that shit is bullshit. We all know that shit is bullshit. You know that you probably thought, I am a white woman, I am a white police officer, if I kill this black man and and I said this bullshit story, then people are going to believe me because I am a police officer. No, bitch, we do not believe you. We do not. I don't believe you. The country does not believe you. At least those that are sane. So if... what makes me even more mad is that this bitch was able to then postpone, so she's probably chilling over there, you know, making some potato salad, some, you know, because they love their potato salad, making some fucking potato salad, chilling at home, while this family of this good man is now grieving the death of their son, their, their brother, their their father, their uncle, because this bitch killed him in his own damn apartment. If she does not get first degree murder, oh bitch, we are going to raise hell. Me personally gonna raise motherfucking hell. So that's my talking shit. Fuck you, Amber Goyer. All right, we're gonna go ahead and move on to La Opinion. We've reached our section La Opinion or Questions. This is where you ask me questions that you send on my Instagram, Snapchat, or Twitter via a, at it's just a talk or via my Gmail at podcast. It's just a talk at Gmail.com. All right, so today we have two questions. The first one is uh, comes to you from my soulmate and you know who you are, uh, and that's the question says, what's one piece of advice you would have wanted to hear as a young queer person of color? Um, I think one question that I would like to hear as a young person of queer person of color would have been just someone warning me and preparing me for how racist the queer community can be at times, uh, especially the gay community. Um... So the gay community is very, very white. Uh, And so even in San Francisco, here in the Bay Area, or even in West Hollywood or other places that I've been, um, usually gay bars are rather white. Uh, They have their one Latino night, and you have white men that fetishize um, either Latino men or you have your hip-hop night, and you have white men that fetishize black men uh, show up and just act a fool. Um, most recently, I went with some friends to Club Papi on Wednesdays, and I had this white man come up to me and ask me if I was Latin. He said, hey, you're really handsome, can I buy you a drink? And I was like, no, I'm good. And he's like, come on, let me buy you a drink. And I was like, no, I have a drink, I'm good. And he was like, come on. He's like, I love Latin men. And I was like, okay, now we have a problem. And he's like, I just love how exotic you are. And I was like, oh, no, I'm gonna fight someone. Don't call me exotic. Do not. And then he, when I like went off on him, he then says, Oh, I'm sorry, it's not my problem that I'm into Latin uncut cock. And I was like, Oh my God, we have to leave because I'm gonna beat up this white hijo de puta right now. So I just wish somebody would have warned me about how uh, racist. Uh, our own community can be. Uh, most recently, uh, Grindr, uh, in collaboration with like uh, the Vitzin and like um, many other people of color, came out with this uh, campaign called Kinder, uh, and it basically talks about um, just being kind to each other and how we're a, mar- a mar- marginalized community, but we still marginalize ourselves. A lot of it has to do with um, with communities that. Uh, are not in power, try to find some power towards other people. Um it's that crab effect. If you put a bunch of crab in crabs in a bucket, instead of helping each other get out, they'll pull each other down. Uh so I feel it has a lot to do with that and why we're still very uh marginalized within our own marginalized community. Um, also, I would love someone to just have told me the spaces that I should go. Um, and even now, if you have any spaces in the Bay Area that you think I should go to as a person of color, as a queer person of color, would love to hear that. All right, the next question. Uh, so my friend Silly, let's call it Silly, as uh, white men, do we fuck them or not? If we do, are we then betraying our ancestors? Ooh, child. Um, I personally don't. Uh, I don't remember the last time that I had, um, sexual relations with that woman. I mean, with a white person, with a white man. Uh, I choose not to. It's my own preference. I feel like I constantly am sitting on this doubt that they are either fetishizing me, that I am, that they're going to say something fucked up, or that they're just going to be racist as fuck and... They're just going to be, like, one of those quiet racists. Uh, so I just choose not to put myself in that situation. Saying that, I, I am not opposed to maybe one day, you know, I find a right white gay man it's just right in all the ways um, to be able to date. So I'm not closing that door completely. I personally do not pursue white men. Uh, on Tinder, I do swipe left or which, left is no, right? I do swipe left on white men. Um, yeah, I prefer... People of color or men of color, uh, but girl, you know if you fuck white men and that's your thing, I'm not gonna judge you, and I don't think your ancestors are gonna hate you. Um, I definitely feel like they colonized my ancestors, so I don't want my body to be colonized. But girl, if that's if you like your white man, I'm not gonna judge you. I have a lot of uh, I know a lot of white men that are really good white men. Unfortunately, no. Good white gay men that are single, um, that I can maybe date, but I do know a lot of straight white men that are pretty good people. Um, So I don't think that you're betraying your ancestors. But also, if you're really questioning yourself in that, then maybe we shouldn't do it. Just my thought. All right, and that was La Opinion. If you have any questions, go ahead and send them my way, uh, and I will answer them on my podcast. All right, now moving on to our last section. I need to get this off my mental section or off my mind. Uh, two things before I leave you and we complete episode 003. One, I saw that a couple days ago it was a big deal that someone that used to work at Sesame Street confirmed that Bert and Ernie are gay. Sweetie. Who are you fooling? Of course they're gay. They live together. They've been living together. They share everything together. Have you seen those scenes where they take bats together? Uh, sweetie, I knew they were gay since I was a little gay boy. And this is why Bert and Ernie were always my favorite characters. And I did not have space in my talking shit section for this. But just to get off my mind, uh, in Lego Tacos in Philly, fuck you. Uh, if you do not know, in Philadelphia, a new restaurant called legal Tacos open. The owner, Florian Forcio, who's from Albania, which is a, a country in Europe, opened a taco shop called legal Tacos. Uh, you can go talk shit to them at their Instagram, at illegal in underscore tacos underscore Philly. Let them know how you feel. I just don't have any words. To why someone would name their restaurant, their taco shop, if you're not even Latino, name them in Lego Tacos. Are you kidding me? This is not okay. Fuck you. Alright, and with that, we're gonna go ahead and finish this episode 02. I thank you for listening. Again, I am now on an Apple Podcast and on SoundCloud. So whichever you are listening, whichever you are listening, go ahead and give it a like, give it a subscribe. I would really appreciate you. And with that, I'm gonna leave you with my mantra. Remember, la vida es un carnaval y es más bello vivir cantando. Go ahead and give me a follow on my social media at It's Just a Talk. That's Snapchat, Twitter, and Instagram. Send me your emails at Talk at gmail.com. And subscribe and like on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud. I love you all. Ciao.